This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Today, I have with me special guest Kelsey Banky. Kelsey is a certified financial planner in our office. Welcome, Kelsey. Thanks, Mary. And, uh, you know, I have a friend who is a nurse. And she told me that she was just embarrassed because she didn't really understand more about investing, you know, and she was in her mid forties and she felt like by that age, boy, she should know some of this stuff. Um, and she's smart. She knows medicine. I mean, boy, if I needed uh, someone to uh, help me, if I was sick, she would absolutely be the first one I would go to. Um, but she just really doesn't understand too much about investing. And the older that she got, the more embarrassed she got about the fact that she didn't understand it. And then that kind of kept her from asking for help. And so um, what I wanted to do today was talk about some basic investment principles, but also talk about some smart things to do so that you have all of your financial ducks in a row. So what I want to start with talking about is an emergency fund. Okay, not the most sexy or exciting topic when you think about money, but one of the most fundamentally important things for people to have is an emergency fund. And Mary, in in talking about that emergency fund, let's get started on how much should that fund be? Uh, Sound or smart investment advice would say three to six months of income is what you should have in your emergency fund. And what that is going to cover is... uh, things that come up that are unexpected and especially those things that are not covered by insurance. So thinking about it, if your car breaks down, you know, that's maybe not covered by insurance, uh, travel problems, uh, with all the, the winter weather we're having this year, there are, um, a lot of people getting stranded, getting stuck in hotels longer, things like that. Uh, if you lose a job, if you, um, anything like that, that could come up, that could be costly to recover from, uh, you need to have an emergency fund to help cover that so that you don't have to go to credit cards and other uh, forms of debt to help cover that emergency. Absolutely. So having at least three months of your gross income on hand is absolutely your starting place for that. We get a lot of questions about what's the most important thing to do first. You know, do you save for retirement first? Do you save for college first? Do you save your emergency funds first? And I want you to think about your investing kind of like a pyramid, okay? If you think about a pyramid, at the bottom of the pyramid is the foundation of it. And at the bottom of the pyramid of financial planning really needs to sit this emergency fund. The other thing that sits at the bottom of the financial period, the pyramid to provide your stability is making sure you have your financial gaps protected by having strong insurance in place. As you move up the pyramid, the middle of the pyramid is really your retirement savings. And then at the top of the pyramid, you get into the college savings and you get into fund money and things like that. So if you can envision a pyramid, if you if you don't start with the right things at the foundation, it's like you've tipped your pyramid over and you're trying to balance it on the very tip top little point of it. And if that's what you're doing, your pyramid is just going to fall over. <laughs> so if you really want to have a good, strong financial plan, getting that emergency fund into place is absolutely your first step. Um, and then, you know, for some people, the emergency money can be... Um, a significant pool. And then people can get frustrated about the fact that uh, right now, 
checking, savings account, things like that are really not paying a lot of interest. So you should talk to your financial advisor about what is appropriate to do with that emergency money. Some of it absolutely belongs in cash in a bank, and some of it might be able to be deployed into an investment strategy that simply has a goal of trying to beat the bank with taking some type of very limited risk. So you should talk to your financial advisor about that. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is um, basically stocks and bonds in general. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people listening here are aware that stock, having a stock itself is ownership in a company. And having a bond is that the company owes you money. So they are in debt to you because you've given them money in return for having a bond. And so stocks and bonds all come in various shapes and sizes. When it comes right down to it, most stocks fit into one of three sizes. You either have small, medium, and large. And small stocks are not necessarily your mom and pop corner grocery store. Those are things that are usually under about $2 billion of revenue. So I don't know about you, Kelsey, but I would love to see Sterk Financial Services be a quote-unquote small company someday. <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> you know, and we'll then there. here you go. <laughs> the medium-sized companies are, are a little bit bigger than that. And then the large companies are the companies that you know. You know, they're companies that are household names. And the larger a company gets the more stability that it tends to have and the more it can push around the little guys on the street, the small caps and things like that. So from a size perspective and from a risk perspective, your risk goes down as your size gets larger. But, um, you know, there is a premise called the more risk you take, the more return you're likely to take over time. And so... um, the small companies, even though they're more risky, can net out a nice return over time. It's just very volatile. It's going to go up and down a lot more. And so having some of all of these types of sizes blended into a portfolio is really important. In addition, having a good blend of bonds in your portfolio is important too. Now, bonds are a little bit different. Bonds differ on quality and duration. Okay? So some bonds are what are called high quality. Some bonds are called low quality, and then there's obviously middle-sized quality there. But bonds are rated. So an AAA bond, a triple A bond, is your highest quality. If you see a triple B bond, that's a little bit less quality. And then there's these funny little bonds that are called high-yield bonds. Now, those sound like they might be a really great option because high-yield is what we want, right? Yeah, I want high-yield. Absolutely. But do you know what the other name for high-yield bonds is? It's junk bonds. (laughs) (laughs) They're called junk bonds for a reason. And junk bonds can be really risky because junk bonds are uh, bonds of companies who are in some level of financial trouble, They have to pay a higher yield on their bond in order to attract investors to invest in their company because otherwise you wouldn't because they're not as solid as as stable as a company. So high yield bonds are a type of bond out there, but they definitely carry a lot more risk than other bonds do. So give us a call. We have a great giveaway this week. It's a Smart Investment Principles booklet that we've put together. kind of talks about all the do's and don'ts of investing that are important to you. You can call us at 605-217-3555 to get a copy of your Sound Investment Principles booklet. So Kelsey, can you talk a little bit about 
what the words asset allocation actually mean? Sure. So just as we were talking about the different types of uh, stocks, the different types of bonds, asset allocation is the big picture. So what combinations of each of those types of stocks and bonds, and and take this even further, it's not just domestic uh, stocks, it's international stocks, it's emerging markets, it's all, all of those different things wrapped into one. And what percentages should you have in each one of those categories? So when I say what percentages, I didn't say equal percentages. I said what percentages, because you should have a little bit in all of the different categories, but the the amount and the proportions truly should align with your risk tolerance level and making sure that you're not taking on too much risk uh, for um, a reward if, you, if you're not comfortable with that. So when you say risk tolerance level, what do you actually mean by that? Sure. Everybody is uh, comfortable with risk at different levels. So some people, I mean, just think outside of investing. Some people drive exactly the speed limit, always wear their seatbelt and are very, very careful in everything that they do. Some people are jumping off buildings without parachutes and things like that. (laughs) So there's, there's lots of different risk levels. There's no right or wrong answer to the risk level question. It is truly how you feel about risk. So just as, as in our everyday life, we all take risk differently in the market. You can take risk differently. So you can be a more conservative investor and you're not going to see maybe as big of returns, but you, you probably won't see as big of losses either. Same thing on the other end of the spectrum. If you go aggressive, you're going to see potentially very large returns, but potentially very large losses. So anywhere from conservative to moderate to aggressive, you could fall in risk tolerance level. Um, and that's really a personal decision in, in what you're comfortable with. So what's kind of interesting about risk tolerance levels is that not only are they personal, but they shift over time. And the best way for you to determine what your risk tolerance level is, is to work with your financial advisor to go through a short questionnaire that will help you isolate how much risk you truly are comfortable with taking. You can uh, find some information about that in our Smart Investment Principles booklet. If you'd like to give us a call, we have operators standing by 24 hours a day. And um, you can call in and request your Smart Investment Principles booklet at 605-217-3555. Congratulations to Mary Stirk and the team at Stirk Financial for earning a spot on two Forbes lists, Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors and Forbes Top Women in Wealth for five years running. The second thing I think that is very important in smart investing is to make sure that you have your risks um, covered. So what I mean by that is this. Let's say that you are in a situation where you have um, a spouse and children and you have goals in life to make sure your spouse and children are taken care of and that they can go to college at some point in their life. So having an insurance component in your financial plan is another foundational piece that I think is really important to have there. You can save money for college. You can save money for retirement and you do so a little bit at a time and it builds up over your lifetime. But if something would happen to you in an unforeseen emergency, that little bit of savings will help, but it won't go nearly as long as or as far and as long as supporting your family as having a good life insurance program in place. So life insurance is definitely part of the foundational segment of that financial planning pyramid that we talked about earlier. The other thing that is important to think about from an insurance perspective is your disability insurance. You know, it's actually much more likely that someone will become disabled versus die the younger that you are. And your earning capabilities are actually your biggest asset. 
Most people think it's their house or their 401k or things like that. But the biggest asset that you have is your capacity to make money. And so having some good disability insurance, whether it's through your company or on your own, is another foundational aspect of smart investment principles. Okay, so the next thing that we're going to talk about is what is it that might derail smart investing? And uh, so when you think about what can derail a good plan, life can derail it. There can be all sorts of things that happen in life. But when it comes to actual smart investing, the number one threat to your investment portfolio is actually unbridled emotion. And um, more money is lost to fear or greed than is lost to all of the financial, economic, and geopolitical events combined that happen out there. So it's not the events themselves that are the issue, but it's really our response to the events that cause the greatest harm. So when we talk about how harmful that can be, what I can tell you is that the average investor doesn't come close to beating the S&P 500 index out there and barely outplaces inflation according to Oppenheimer funds. And that's because we tend to make decisions out of fear, especially when markets get volatile. Yeah. And Mary, you know, I guess, uh, most people, they, they get excited when things are going well and Mm -hmm. that's maybe too late on investing. Uh, if things are going well and they're at the top of where they're, they're going to go and you invest at that time, you've just, uh, bought something at a premium. And if you let fear get in the way as things are going down and you wait for things to, to get pretty low before you sell, you just sold, uh, your assets at a discount. So it's actually the opposite of what you should be doing. Uh, if you think about when you go to the store and you're buying, uh, I like shoes. I'm a girl. Um, I'm going to go try to get <laughs> shoes. I'm going to go try to get shoes on sale. I'm not going to go say, Oh, what's your highest price? I want to pay that. I'm going to go try to get the lowest price. So when stocks and when the markets are going down, that's actually, actually it can be a very great time to buy because you're getting those stocks and those company ownerships on sale. Right. You know, if you think about it, every cloud has a silver lining. And so the same premise in, uh, inside of investing, every down market has an opportunity in it. So for instance, right now, there's um, a lot of fear and uncertainty in the market surrounding a couple things. There's some international events that are going on that make people wonder if the international markets are very stable. There's some domestic issues going on, especially in the energy and in the oil industry that has created a tremendous drop in value of a lot of things in that sector. But smart money follows opportunity. Um, now, you also have to be making sure that you're doing something within your capacity and comfort level with risk, but looking for good investments that have great value in depressed industries can be a fabulous way to um, manage a portfolio. However, it is the exact opposite of what your emotion will tell you to do. Most people's emotion will say, oh, the market's falling apart. The market's going down. I need to sell. Get me out of it before I lose more. And that is actually the worst possible thing that you can do because the ups and downs in the market, recovery happens in bursts. 
Okay, it doesn't happen in a let's go up 100 points a day in a market style. It tends to happen in bursts. And if you miss a burst because you were out of the market, then you've locked in your losses and you lose a lot of your potential for regaining what you've lost. So smart investment principles suggest that you should stay invested and that a actual an asset allocation strategy or investment strategy should not change based on economic conditions or market fluctuations. That's not the primary driver for change. Well, and also with that, Mary, on the asset allocation side, uh, if you have a good diversified portfolio and you're staying true to your asset allocation, you're going to help against making sure you're not too exposed in any one category. And a a strong way to help with that uh, is having an automatic rebalancing set up, for example, on your 401ks or um, investments that allow for that. Uh, An automatic rebalancing will constantly take you back to your correct risk level uh, in case that Uh, you ever get out of balance because of one category performing stronger than the other. You know, one of the things that people have to do um, when they're designing their investment portfolio is figure out what are the important things to them. And so one of the things that is important in an investment portfolio is to think about how much liquidity you need. So Kelsey, tell us a little bit about why liquidity is important. Liquidity is important. It's how quickly can you access your money? So uh, think about assets that you might have. You might have your 401k, you might have some savings in the bank, and you might have your house and some vehicles, and maybe you own a business. Okay. Some of those assets are liquid and some of them aren't. So uh, if an emergency came up or if something came up where you really needed to get at money, it's going to be difficult to get it out of your house because it can take a while to sell it. It's going to be difficult to get it out of your business. Uh, when it comes down to your investment and savings, your 401k, uh, depending on how old you are, could have penalties for taking it out if you're before the age of 59 and a half. And regardless of how old you are, you may owe taxes on it. Uh, your, your investment account or your savings is probably going to be your best choice uh, for liquidity just because of the, t- the better tax benefits, but also you can go get it. You can get it in a couple days most likely. Uh, so liquidity is very important because sometimes you need that money faster than you're, you can wait for it. So there are really four key aspects if you're trying to design an investment portfolio on your own that I think you should be paying attention to. Number one is the asset allocation that we talked about, and that really triggers off of your risk tolerance. Um, So risk tolerance is number two. Liquidity is number three. And the number four thing to really be paying attention to is your time horizon. So time horizon really speaks to how long it's going to be until you actually need to use this money. And the time horizon can be different for different pools of money. For instance, if you're saving money to send your child to college, your time horizon is going to be ending around the time that they get to be 18. If your time horizon is for your retirement, then that time horizon is looking at needing to start utilizing money when you're in your retirement ages, let's say 65, but keeping in mind that a portion of that money still has a very long-term goal because your retirement could last, you know, 30 to 40 years. So the time horizon piece of this is really an important factor in designing an ideal investment portfolio for yourself. Okay, so we talked about the foundation of the um, investment 
principles being making sure you have your emergency funds and your insurances in place. We've talked about that midsection being focused on retirement. And when you're doing your retirement planning, you again want to focus on liquidity, asset allocation, risk tolerance level, and time horizon. And then we get to the top of the pyramid, which is more of your fund money, you know, and more of the things that you you are going to do that are nice to do versus have to do. So that's why college planning money sits in the top of the period. Now, some people might say, what do you mean? It's incredibly important to send my children to college. And I absolutely agree with that. But you can get a loan to send your children to college. You cannot get a loan to retire on. So that's why college planning sits at the top of this pyramid. Um, And again, you want to keep your pyramid flatly set on its foundation. You don't want to tip it over and approach this backwards. (laughs) So that kind of recaps some of the important things we've talked about today. And I also just want to reiterate, don't let emotion be your guide when it comes to making your your financial decisions. If you can separate the emotions from the economics, I think you're on your way to smart investment principles being implemented in your portfolio. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, you can call us at 605-217-3555 to request your Sound Investments Principal Booklet. And we're also having a seminar on February the 23rd. This seminar is focused on good financial planning for caregivers and people who have lost a spouse, financial well-being for people in those situations. We'd love to have you join us. And you can go on to our website at strickfinancialservices.com to register for that seminar. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can ensure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dunes, South Dakota, 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555. Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors list includes 10 recipients per state. The award is based on qualitative and quantitative data, rating thousands of wealth advisors with a minimum of seven years of experience and weighing factors like revenue trends, assets under management, compliance records, industry experience, and best practices. The award is not based on portfolio performance or client reviews. There is no fee in exchange for rankings. Third-party rankings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation.